Welcome to the next to last preseason episode of Club and Country. We are the Nashville SC podcast of record from two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. Happy Valentine's week. I am Nashville SC radio voice Wes Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Moon Taxi brought you the music leading in, and we are leading into the season just over a week away. And the boys in gold have taken the pitch for the first time. There's a gleaming gold in at the fairgrounds, and a handful of MLS teams are going to begin competitive play this week. Yeah, we're itching for the season to get started, and it's almost here. Everybody who's who's been anxiously waiting during hot Tim winter, fear not. The actual <laughs> soccer is, is coming back soon. But um, like you mentioned, some teams are starting this coming week, and I, I it's almost here. I've been a huge fan of CONCACAF Champions League over the years because I love getting my heart broken by the Mexican <laughs> power teams every single year. And yep. We're oh so close to Nashville SC taking the field for realsies. It's all coming together all at once. Is it Sisyphus that pushed the boulder up the hill only to have it roll back down? That was his eternal torture. That's CCL for MLS fans. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a Sisyphean task for, for Major League Soccer every single year. And we'll hold a spelling bee contest for those listening. Tweet as the correct spelling of Sisyphean for Sisyphean. Boom. Boom. All right. There you go. Well, forget the the user uh, generated content we were going to request there, and have you guys send in spelling uh, spelling of that for a prize, which would have been your boy. Your boy was a spelling bee champion in his youth. So. I was a runner up in my youth. So you, uh, <laughs> I think you we've already me. mentioned this on the pod. We have, we have, we've, we've. Any evidence of our nerddom has well mostly been been aired already. Maybe not. Maybe there's more to come. Uh, today, busy show. In the early shot, we'll dissect Nashville SC's first scrimmage. What did Gary Smith think? He'll tell us in a couple of recorded comments, that is. Uh, plus, a little bit of stadium decoration news we may or may not have ruined in the open to this show. Then, today is our Western Conference preview special. We're going to give you a movie title and an X Factor for every team in the West. Get ready. It's going to be hopefully fast, definitely hard-hitting, and hopefully informative. And if we can get two out of three of those, we will have done our job, I think. Uh, your questions in the mailbag, the best one, I think, which boy in gold might surprise us this year? Also, which MLS team could surprise us? That'll flow nicely out of our Western Conference preview. Then we'll go outside in. Big news for a prominent local soccer name. Plus, as we mentioned, it is CCL time and your chance to test your soccer knowledge against the experts and also against me and Tim. We'll tell you more about that in our final whistle, but let's start off, as usual, with our early shout. This is probably the third off-season in a row of less than, you know, eight or nine days off for me, so it's kind of just been a continuous journey over the past couple of years, not much time off, keep my fitness at a good level, and then certainly having competitive games um, for the guys that were at the qualifiers you know, we sh- certainly should be, you know, a leg up on uh, everyone else at this point in, in the year. So now it's just about getting uh, readjusted, reacquainted with everyone, reacquainted with the style of play uh, and your teammates on and off the field and uh, making sure that we're all a well-oiled machine heading into the end of February. Preseason is underway in fine fashion for the boys in gold. You just heard from Walker Zimmerman after Nashville's 3-1 friendly win over Charlotte last week. I don't know if it was a friendly win, but it was a win in a friendly. Let's clarify. Gary Smith's men led 2-0 after just 16 minutes thanks to a brace from CJ Sapong. Ake Loba assisted both of the tallies, you'll be happy to hear, and Hani Mukhtar received a secondary assist on that first goal. The team's played an even second half, one goal apiece. Nashville's came from Teal Bunbury, but Tim, the part that mattered really was that first half when the starters were in, and it was a dominant 2-0 display that, per sources, 
could have been a lot worse. Yeah, there's always a question of are these teams trying to win or just get some match fitness and install their tactical framework? You know, we talked about this last week. Preseason, you can never really tell. But when it's so easy for a team that they lead like Nashville did that early into the game, you have to feel good about it because it indicates that uh, our Jimmys and Joes are better than theirs to bring the old football uh, analogy that I seem to always use on this podcast. (laughs) But um, I mean, Charlotte looks like a really, really bad team. It looks like this is going to be a Cincinnati like entry to the league. So who knows if that's even meaningful? Nashville SC could have won 14 nothing and it doesn't matter because everybody's going to do that to Charlotte this year. So we'll see as we continue to go forward exactly what it does mean if Charlotte has a little bit better preseason results or early season results during the regular season. And had Nashville not made a trade with Seattle a couple of years ago, then Jimmy's and Joe's could be literal. Joe Willis and Jimmy <laughs> Madronda. And in that case, the Jimmy and the Joe would probably be better than most of what Charlotte has. We'll get into them just a little bit later uh, on the show. But as for those who are on the pitch for Nashville, yes, Joe Willis was in goal. And really very few surprises uh, to the extent that you can even really take seriously the the first starting 11 of the first preseason friendly. The back line was Romney, Josh Bauer. There's one of those mild surprises. And Walker Zimmerman, Dan Lovitz, and Eric Miller were the wing backs. Apologies to the Alex Mule crowd thinking he might initially start off in that right back spot. He might. Of course, again, just a friendly, but Eric Miller held it down initially. Sean Davis, Anibal Godoy held down central midfield. A three-man unit up top, Hani Mukhtar and Ake Loba, supporting CJ Sapong from the flanks. Here is what Gary Smith said about the shape and the mentality of his team to open up preseason. The difference this year to, to maybe the last couple is that, you know, we do have some foundations to work with now and a, and a lot of good pieces of the puzzle. Um, always room for improvement. But the group, um, from an attacking standpoint today, was CJ um, through the middle with Hanny and Aki um, as, as more withdrawn strikers. And, and it did create a slightly different look. It, it, whilst it gives us a more aggressive um, feel and, and some, some very bright moments for sure, there are some things that we have to work through if that's going to be uh, a more, um, you know, a, a future shape and, and bodies that are going to be used more often, which, you know, looking out there today shouldn't be too difficult to correct. However, when you become stronger in one area, you, you, there's a chance that you become a little bit weaker in another. And it's those areas that we've we just got to be mindful of. So Tim, preseason is the time to experiment, which is why we never want to take starting 11s too terribly seriously. But obviously, from a tactical standpoint, there are some notes you can take, as usually the way Nashville takes the field, or any team takes the field to start, is maybe their plan A for the season, right? And, and wanting to try out some things that they're going to be employing in league play. Do you see that that kind of look with Loba and with Mukhtar supporting Sapong from the flanks. Do you see that kind of look sticking around, or do you think without Rendellial being at full fitness, other factors considered, maybe this is Gary just taking a shot to try some things against a weaker side? The thing that Gary Smith is always going to focus on is finding a way to be solid at the back and, and providing support and access to the ball for the attacking players to be able to do what they do to make their moments of magic. Um, it's not going to be a, a well-orchestrated Bob Bradley-style attack. It's going to be a solid defense that allows good players to make good plays. Um, however it can get done, that's what, that's what you're going to see them do. It does sound like, contrary to preseason plans, that there might be an effort to get into a three-at-the-back shape in a few different ways. Um, you know, Dax McCarty reprised his uh, midfield center-back role from games against Cincinnati, Miami, and Columbus last year. 
Um, you know, you mentioned that Josh Bauer was the third center back as they opened. I think more than any specific plan, when you look at these preseason games for Nashville, they're really about having as many options, both in terms of personnel and in terms of how they're going to approach things tactically as possible. And I do think as you approach the regular season, you might get a better view of exactly what they're going to do when that first uh, the ball is not dropped in soccer, but when that first kick is taken against the Seattle Sounders. But for right now, I think it's more about experimenting. Some other takeaways for the friendly. We'll get into our gold nuggets. What did we learn from Nashville SC's 3-1 preseason win over Charlotte? First, and probably most importantly, Ake Loba looked brighter than ever in the friendly, according to Gary Smith. Here is what the manager said about Loba and his performance up top in that first half. We've now got a player who I think in the off-season has worked very, very hard. He's come back in in great shape, and you can see that in the games. As far as the connections, his assists, it wasn't just the assists. He actually worked two or three other fantastic opportunities, could have had a goal himself and was very unselfish and tried to square it. Um, I don't think it would be... Um, wrong of me to say that it's probably his brightest 45 minutes um, that I've seen. And I think if we look back as far as, um, you know, Cincinnati when he scored and made a wonderful impact in the game, this was, this was more like the Aki that we all expected. And now it's time for some consistency to keep working at that, to keep layering that, that information and, and connection into to hopefully you know, what he's going to be able to do for the group. So, Tim, that's two assists for Loba in the first friendly. He's making a case to nail down a spot up top, and it sounds like, at least for the 45 minutes, we can judge a lot of optimism around his early performance. The hope has always been that he'd take that second-year leap. We saw with Hani Mukhtar, and to a lesser extent, Jean Dercati's last year before his ill-fated stint with the Venezuelan national team, essentially ended his, his National SC career for all practical purposes. So Loba's going to get every opportunity to prove or disprove that he has made that a second-year leap. He's going to get those chances on the field, and he seems to be getting closer to exactly what we expected of him, and if that's the case, then this could be a really special attack. More on Ake Loba in the mailbag section, as many of you had questions about him, of course, uh, the, the star DP record-setting transfer that he is. Uh, but another note, Josh Bauer beat out Jack Mayer for the third center back spot. And again, we say beat out as if it's you know a competition at this point. Really, there are a number of factors that could have led to him getting that opportunity. Um, Gary Smith praised the work, though, that Bauer did in the last couple weeks and told us, hey, if he's going to try something, Tim, now's the time to do it. Yeah, I think this was more about testing personnel than a true here's where the depth chart stands sort of situation. But if he's getting run next to Walker Zimmerman, you aren't throwing a guy out there with with the intention of saying, OK, yeah, here's here's what it looks like. Waste minutes that we could be solidifying a back line with our guy who everybody knows is going to be probably the first name on the team sheet. Mm -hmm. So certainly there's an indication that at the very least, Bauer is a realistic a possibility to play and play with that first unit. And Gary did echo that thought. He said, you know, I wanted to get him on with Walker and see how he'd perform alongside Zimmerman. And as, as you mentioned, Tim, also another option potentially for this back line, or at least for central midfield converting to the back line, was Dax McCarty in that front screen role. A hybrid role, kind of what we saw a little bit last year, but, but a whole lot last year from Santiago Sosa in Atlanta, where he's a deep-lying midfielder who can step back into the heart of the back line when needed to, to create a three-man look as opposed to a four-man look when he's stepping up. 
versatility, but also a way to save Dax's legs uh, yeah. when he's going to need to be employed and maybe a way in certain circumstances to let him find his way onto the pitch alongside Godoy and Sean Davis. When I was searching to see exactly which games Dax played this sort of role last year, I did see that in 2013, he played a similar sort of role. So way back in the day, um, this is a guy who's who's actually done it before, which I don't think I realized at the time that it happened. But when you look at it and say, this is just another kind of tactical, maybe curveball that we can throw at people, the sort of thing that we can bust out every once in a while. But also, like you mentioned, a way to use Dax McCarty without wearing him down because um, he is a guy who's just a couple years younger than me. <laughs> that's that's true. He is. We're all very young. He's just not quite as young as, as some folks on the team. That's our stance, <laughs> and we're sticking to it. Uh, finally, at the much-discussed right-back spot, as we mentioned, Eric Miller got the start and not Alex Mueil. Any surprise? Anything we should read into that? Yeah, to a certain extent, I, I'm surprised. I, I know that Gary Smith... However, um, thinks more highly of Miller than the NSC fan base might at times. And I've kind of been on that train a little bit, too. I think Miller has gotten blamed for some things that weren't necessarily his fault. But then when you look at Mwil specifically, wingback is kind of an awkward fit for him. His best defensive attributes involve being in physical battles and tight spaces in the cage match, as they would say on the Scuffed podcast. And his best offensive moments are not necessarily about beating guys on the dribble out in space either. I do think as he continues to get more experience at that sort of position, the things that he brings to the, the, that spot work great. Um, a defensive bite from, from a more attacking position are things that can really help Nashville SC, but it's about getting experience kind of in a different area of the field than he's historically played. And, you know, preseason is the time to get some of that experience, but I, I certainly could understand if Gary Smith thought, we've got eight matches away from home to start the season. Let's go with a known quantity. Let's understand that we don't need the attack down the right flank necessarily to be to be buzzing in the first eight to ten matches of the season. That, that time may come, and maybe that time is when you go you go after a potential DP or TAM player at right back, you know, halfway through the season when the market's uh, kinder anyway, as we've discussed on previous shows. So uh, we'll be interested to see, but but would not be shocked to see Eric Miller starting there in week one. And I think, as you've said, uh, he, he is more maligned than he should be at times. Uh, a couple of noteworthy mistakes early in NSC history, putting him in a doghouse where maybe he shouldn't be living. Uh, so we'll see what, what ends up happening there. Um, everyone in? Yes, in fact, everyone was admiring the inn at Nashville SC Stadium. Construction continues on the facility, and that brightly lit gold inn took its place above one of the corners of the stadium. Tim, I think it looks great. Uh, question for you. If you could decorate the new stadium with any other aesthetic touch, what would it be? It's got to be a bunch of corny Nashville-themed musical staff and notes and treble clefs wrapped all around. Um, you know, you just got to <laughs> really lean into it. Um, I think regular listeners know that that is uh, not actually how I feel. No, that was very on a, on a serious note. I, I'm not super into that kind of exposed beam look that they have on the outside. So I, I'm sure it'll look good when the stadium is completely done. So uh, on a serious note, I think a uh, like a brick facade around those beams would be cool. But obviously it was designed with, with the intention of having those exposed for the aesthetics of it. So uh, that's that's a, a personal decision that I just differ from the designers. Fair enough. But this show is more about analytics than aesthetics anyway. So you can yeah. take your as you can see, if you're you know watching any clips that we put up on Twitter or have seen our Twitter <laughs> avatars, it's about as uh, not aesthetics, but but analytics. <laughs> so so let's get into some analysis then. Let's move into our, our Western Conference preview. That is the focus, primarily at least, of this episode. What we're going to do is we're going to quickly walk through every other of the 13 teams in the Western Conference. We're going to give you two things. A movie title for each club and the X factor to their success 
2022. And we're going to do it in the order in which these teams appear on Nashville SC's schedule. Just doing the West again. You guys know the East pretty well. But let's get to know the Western Conference, and we'll start with a team that would be at the beginning, no matter which way you classify them, on the schedule, but also perhaps in terms of quality. And that is, of course, Seattle Sounders. The movie title I have for them, Tim, is House Party. Yes, the 80s classic relived because Seattle is loaded with talent after the signing of Albert Rusnak. It's a house party at Lumen Field, and Nashville SC fans hoping it won't be a house party on February 27th. Maybe they can wait a week to to kick off the festivities. Uh, This was the best defense in MLS last year, tied with Nashville, of course, and, and Red Bulls. But the attack came up just a little bit short, just a little short, especially when it mattered most. A scoreless performance in a playoff loss at home to an RSL team that didn't take a shot. Ugh, it was a memorable night for uh, for MLS fans, but not so much if you're wearing green and, and blue. There's lots of turnover in the back half of the roster, but the stars are all back for this team, Tim. You've got Rui Diaz, Ladero, Roldan times two, Joel Paolo, who does not deserve to be fifth on this list, Jordan Morris, hopefully back to full health after he came back on late last year. There's no reason Seattle can't lead the list of MLS Cup contenders, especially after adding Rusnak who's coming off a career year in Salt Lake City. 11 goals, 11 assists. Seattle's so bitter at that defeat. They, they'd already taken RSL's coach earlier in the year, and they just go ahead and take their, their arguably their best player while they're at it. So the X factor for me, Tim, is is can they stay healthy and fresh this year? It's, it's mm-hmm. basically the boilerplate X factor when you don't really see anything else that you dislike on the team. Um, they've got to rotate for CCL again. They will be in CONCACAF Champions League starting this week. Um, they have one of the older starting groups in the league, and then they have one of the younger supporting casts behind them. Uh, the Academy's churning out players that look really promising. A couple of them have broken in. A lot of those guys are going to be on the bench this year, but I think, Tim, they'd still love to avoid relying on those kids if they can help it. I mean, if, if we're making a house party reference, so they're going to be play and kids like kid and play the stars of the film house party. No, okay. no, All no. Right. this is a pun heavy episode already. We've already written in some puns for our movie <laughs> title. So why, why not just add to the mix? That's fine. C plus effort, but that's all right. Anyway, you're, uh, because your next one, by the way, I'm, anyway, I'm not going to ruin uh, it. Just go United ahead. FC. Minnesota United FC. The movie title is Purple Rain. Also, because uh, not only... Is, is the purple one himself, uh, God rest his soul, from the Twin Cities. But Emmanuel Reynoso is such an important part of what Minnesota United has done and will do on the pitch. Um, the counting numbers didn't really back it up as much last year because he underperformed his expected goals by just about half a goal. It's not a ton. But more importantly, because his teammates kind of let him down, he recorded three and a half fewer assists than expected per you know those advanced numbers. And if he had kind of had you know the the uh, kind of replacement level finishing of his teammates. It could have looked a lot better. I think the question is, is who helps him last year? Wingers, Robin Lud and, and Franco Fragapane were good, just uninspiring. Uh, Minnesota United underperformed their expected goals by nearly nine over the course of the year. So think if, if Reynoso's not only his uh, assists had been finished, but some of these other guys, um, you know, it could have been a very different story. And then the defense did overperform their, their kind of bad expected goals against numbers. So getting more consistency is important. And that brings me to my X factor, which is goalkeeper Tyler Miller. He's mm. had wild swings in form. He was elite for LAFC in 2019 to the extent that I said Nashville SC should take him in the expansion draft. So did I. Um, he's been, he's been replacement level or below both of his years with Minnesota though. So if he can put together a top notch year and, and kind of, help that defense overachieve its expected goals against numbers. It could be a special year for the loons. 
Yeah, and if he can't, then Dane St. Clair uh, is, is waiting in the wings and mm-hmm. uh, certainly has a lot of potential there. Uh, moving on to FC Dallas, my movie title, actually more of a song title. Uh, the eyes of MLS are upon you. Everybody's paying attention to FC Dallas because, well, not because of anything they've done on the pitch, but because they sold Ricardo Pepe, their starlet striker, to Europe for an MLS record transfer fee. If he performs well, that's up to $20 million. He's yet to score for Augsburg. He'd scored a lot for Dallas, and now they're going to have to replace him. Uh, this is a club that's been in the playoffs six of the last eight seasons, but they took a step back last year. They missed out last year as as every team from Texas and California found itself below the playoff line. Weird, weird fluke there and pretty enjoyable for a lot of folks actually. Um, can Dallas reinvest and re-energize and route to return to the top half of the table? I think that's the question and they're trying. Uh, they've signed a couple of standout wings. Alan Velasco comes in for $7 million and Paul Ariola. Two million in GAM. I believe that's a record as well mm-hmm. from DC. So the X factor then for me is Actually, not either of those guys. Um, I think we can assume those guys are going to produce, at least to some extent. But even if those high-priced wings deliver a more consistent attack, Tim, my question is, will it matter if the defense can't get itself in gear? Nobody in the West allowed more goals last year. And their most prominent defender, maybe their most talented, Ryan Hollingshead, was just traded to LAFC in what was at least somewhat a do-right-by-the-player move. This guy's from LA. He and his wife met there. He's going home. Presumably to, to you know play the the peak slash maybe toward the end of his career. Great great locker room guy, really good player, and the player they got for him, Marco Farfan, much less accomplished. He's only twenty three, but he has question marks. Uh, they could be answered with exclamation points. But Hollingshead was a given for this team for a long time. Yeah, two things here. One of them is is Dallas has not historically been afraid to spend despite having that academy. I think people assume because they have a good academy that they don't spend, but they do spend. They've just done it horribly. <laughs> so we'll see if Alan Velasco lives up to those to those, uh, you know, those what the numbers might say that he should provide to them. And as far as Ryan Hollingshead, like you mentioned, this is a guy that provided a lot for FC Dallas in the past. He's, he's also just a different kind of cat. Um, this is a dude who took a couple of years off at the beginning of his MLS career to help his brother build a church and stuff. He's like a guy who has a lot going on outside of soccer. Obviously, we are two guys who have uh, expressed our support for such things many times in the past, but we'll see if we'll see if Marco Farfan is able to live up to what Hollingshead was able to provide on the field because, quite frankly, I don't think that's likely, so we'll see. Up next, Real Salt Lake. Um, the movie title that I have is SLC Punks, you uh, like SLC Punk, a, a great movie from like the early 90s. With Outstanding. Matthew Lillard in it, if I recall correctly. Well done. Um, that's Seat because the, the playoff win over Seattle was not a fluke, except in as much as a team winning a game without even taking a shot can be considered non fluky. That's the way RSL wanted to play. They want to go out and punk people by not, frankly, trying to play soccer by 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 absorbing a lot and and kind of hitting on the counter when available. And if it's not available, not bothering. It's it's what um, fans and media around the country, not in Nashville, but around the country have kind of incorrectly attributed to Gary Smith. And I think it's probably no coincidence that Pablo Mastorini comes from that coaching tree. He played for Gary with the Colorado Rapids. Um, he coached under Gary, including a, a slight stint with the Nashville SC USL team kind of did a little internship for a few weeks there and he hired away assistant coach Brett Jacobs this offseason. So there's a lot of connections there, but um, it's a difficult way to win consistently. You can, you can tie consistently. I think uh, we know that for sure, but maybe a little bit. Your goalkeeper runs hot and cold uh, as David Ochoa very much does um, the antics, the game saving stops, the insane errors that lead to goals. 
you're going to be able to win some games that maybe you shouldn't in that case, but you might be able to lose some games that you shouldn't as well. And he's entertainment by himself, which is very entertaining by himself, which is um, probably necessary because RSL's attack is definitely not providing a whole lot of entertainment out there in Sandy. Um, my X factor is, is who creates the offense. Um, Demir Krylock has been good, but he can't do it all on his own with Albert Rusnak off to Seattle. As you previously mentioned, this is a guy who is going to need some help. And, and last year he had it in Rusnak. Rusnak was a very, very, very good player for RSL. Um, this is a team that wants its its attacking players to attack and, and kind of figure it out with their individual talents. And when you have one fewer individual talent, it's going to be difficult for you. Nashville SC and RSL played to a scoreless draw last year. Another former foe for Nashville SC. Now a rival in the Western Conference is Sporting Kansas City. The movie title... Is everything up to date in Kansas City, subtitle, or have they gone about as far as they can go? Quoting Oklahoma, of course, there, and Will Parker. They're, they're always optimistic in, in Missouri this time of year um, because, you know, Missouri loves company. Mm-hmm. And yes. anyway, moving past that, there's there's reason for concern. <laughs> just, just, uh, yeah, acknowledge. Thank you. It's noted. <laughs> noted, but not praised. Got it. Glad it was on the record, at least. There's reason for concern this year, and it has nothing to do with the job that Peter Vermes has done building this club. Yeah. They're looking for their 11th, their 10th playoff trip in 11 years, but their star striker may not play a minute this year. Their record signing striker, Almost Alan certainly Pulido. won't play a minute. Yeah, it's, it's a bad injury. Yeah. He's out likely for the season, and that's just couching things a little bit, but he's very much unlikely to play at all this year. And so they're still looking for a striker. There's been connection potentially between them and Ola Kamara, who had a great year in D.C., if they add him to the equation, then you have some stability and some predictability up there. Beyond that, you're looking at maybe having to play either a false nine and rely on wings like Johnny Russell or do something different. Um, and most of their transfers in have been defensive in nature uh, to further strengthen the third best defense in the conference a year ago. So quite simply, the X factor is who replaces Alan Pluto up top. An organization that, that plays extremely sound soccer that has built a plan that is the model for clubs like Nashville SC um, you have to think that the nucleus is strong enough to, to hold tight in some matches, but if they can't score, especially in the Western Conference, they're going to struggle to stay toward the top of the table where they feel they belong. And it's going to be especially difficult to replace them, to replace the scoring that Polito can provide you because they don't get that DP spot back even if they place him on the season-ending injury list. So they're going to have to either uh, figure out some interesting roster machinations or find a guy that's potentially not a DP uh, compensated sort of player to, to find that level of success that Polito has been able to bring them and, and kind of change the way that Sporting Kansas City has been able to find success in the attack, especially over the course of his time there in, um, I don't even remember where they are. They're not in Kansas City. That's all I they're, in, they're on the Kansas side, just a little bit yeah. south of, of town. Yeah. Yeah. San Jose Earthquakes. My movie title is Surf Ninjas. Do we remember this movie Surf Ninjas? I remember and the existence the, of it. Never the saw The main reason I picked this movie is because Cade Cowell's vibe is as the villain <laughs> in like an 80s teen flick. He just has that, that like, you know, I'm going to beat you up and take your lunch money unless you become a surf ninja and learn. You know, this is classic. He loves being the heel. Story. No, he does. Yeah, I see this. Yeah, I see this. Yeah. Anyway. I think another thing that you're going to really love about my pun ability here, Wes, is that San Jose is definitely going to have to be comfortable riding some waves. <laughs> They'll have really high highs in Matias Almeida's system, but we've seen tons of lows uh, to the extent that it seems unlikely that he's there past this year unless yeah. they have an incredible season that I don't think a whole lot of people are expecting out of them. They're going to have six goal games. The question is whether those are six nothing games, maybe four two games, <laughs> three three games, 
And if there's six nothing games, who's on the winning side? Because they might win a couple of them, but they're going to lose a bunch of them too. Um, and then, you know, to get to finish the pun here, there's a ninja element to the the insane man marking system. There's a, there's a lot of kind of, I don't want to say sneaking around, but like the, the almost the opposite, the in your face, like we're out here to fight you sort of. Uh, with we, you'll see what we have and we're going to do it and I'm, I'm just trying to force the metaphor here i'll just give up on it that, it's okay it's, it's an admirable effort yeah thank you <laughs> the x factor for that reason is it's the whole team it mm. could they you know if they get on one of those highs they can really really ride it but if they get on a low they can really really ride that too and it's a matter of almeida kind of finding maybe a, a bit more equilibrium to find consistent success we're both college football buffs there's there's nothing more fun than after a long day of college football pac 12 after dark could be two mm-hmm. random teams, doesn't matter. Uh, in the Pac-12, could be Arizona and you know, and Washington State, doesn't matter. It's gonna, there's gonna be drama. San Jose is both, both literally and figuratively, the Pac-12 after dark of Major League Soccer. They play the late matches, and they are an incredibly watchable team, even if they're not an incredibly successful team, because of the reason you mentioned. The man marking is very boomer bust, and it leads to a lot of wild swings often against the quakes but you know occasionally they really get things shaking yeah. and uh and they can they can steal some points and you never you never take a day off against that team that is for sure moving on to LA Galaxy my movie title is lost in space because that's where the defenders found themselves quite often last year. They're always expected to contend. Galaxy, in many ways, expected to be that flagship club for the league. But in their first year under Greg Vanny, they missed the playoffs. And it's hard to believe it. They've missed the playoffs now for the third time in four years. Now, they missed it on a controversial call elsewhere between SKC and Real Salt Lake. They'll tell you they should have made it. But they shouldn't be on the line. They should be well above the line in L.A., and that's the goal this year. And the culprit last year was a defense that only posted five clean sheets. When L.A. conceded multiple goals, it lost 12 of 18, only won a couple of those matches. They didn't outscore opponents well when they conceded more than one goal. And they're going to try to score their way out of it this year. New DP attacking mid Douglas Costa is a name you might know. He's won 22 trophies uh, from his time at Bayern Munich, Juventus, and Shakhtar. Clubs you probably have seen in the Champions League. You may be familiar with those guys. Uh, he, of course, will join Chicharito, who has been... He, he had a resurgence of sorts last year when he was healthy, but just not consistently healthy uh, for this group. We like was him. It, was we it that he wasn't healthier that he couldn't beat out Ethan Zubak? The X factor for them then simply is, is, is there enough defensive solidity to help them when their attack isn't clicking? Uh, Kelvin Leardam is, is in. He's been a bit of a journeyman here lately. That's it along the back line for them as of press time. Uh, if they could have Dave Romney back, I think they'd pay double the game to get him back uh, that Nashville surrendered to, to get him to Nashville. Don't, um, say, don't speak that into existence uh, because you know you know if, if Nashville can profit from that deal, they'll do it. I, I, I think Romney doesn't have replacement value sufficient. I think they're okay. As if, unless they really like Josh Bauer, <laughs> they can work, work things around. But uh, if they could have a player like Romney back now, having seen the production, they mm-hmm. would take him in a heartbeat. And hopefully that's just a hypothetical uh, and not, not reality. All right, Houston Dynamo. My movie title is Apollo 13, just for mm. the quote that we all know, the quote that we all love. Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, they do. This was one of the worst of the of the West's three FC Cincinnati facsimiles last year. Um, one of the worst attacks in all of MLS. In the middling defense that, that looks worse than it deserved because they had awful goalkeeping. So it is a really tough situation for new coach Apollo Nagamura. 72% of that roster is back, which is 20th in the league, which means they've had quite a bit of turnover. Obviously, when you're bad, you probably want more turnover. 
Um, but where did that turnover actually make this team better? It's hard to say. Maxi Rudy is gone. Um, last year's leading creator was Griffin Dorsey, who joined midseason after getting cut from Toronto FC. So if a dude's getting cut from a very bad Eastern Conference team and becoming your leading creator, that's an issue for you. They need to continue to upgrade the talent or Nagamura is going to have a really tough start to his Houston Dynamo tenure here. The X Factor is going to be that new coach bump, though. Um, the Dynamo last year was a very bad team, but the underlying numbers weren't quite as bad as the results. So if they live up to their underlying numbers from last year, they'll be a bad team, but not a horrible team. If they can improve those underlying numbers or exceed them, you know, do do both of those and you're potentially sniffing around at the back end of the playoffs. I don't think it will take, uh, you know, just getting better to get into the playoffs. They're going to need a little bit of luck, too. But, uh, you know, that's unpredictable. And I think they're not going to get better enough <laughs> that they're really contending for that unless Nagamura is a, a miracle worker. Houston famous for being the first victim of a multi-goal performance from a Nashville SC player, Honey Mukhtar, with a pair of goals down in Houston a couple of seasons ago. Uh, moving on to the first place finishers in the West a year ago, a movie title for the Colorado Rapids, uh, perhaps appropriately, Rocky Mountain High. I know it's actually a song. We'll go with it. Uh, they were winners of the West. They go to CCL, where uh, they'll be playing in, in CCL for the first time since Gary Smith took them there uh, back in, I guess, what, 2011. Uh, they did all that despite not having a DP contribute significant minutes. They had one designated player on the team that played, and he barely played. He's gone. And this year, well, they have another one. Brian Acosta comes over from Dallas, but they're still going to rely, Tim, on that nucleus to win matches. And that worked for them last year. They had a methodical and very, very smart building process. And we're going to sit here and admire that because some would, would say that's Nashville's approach too, to rely first on your nucleus and then pepper in some stars. And, and Nashville's certainly done that now. But the X factor that comes with that to me is, are they built to get past the first round? Because obviously, you know, in the NCAA tournament, you need you need seniors and you need point guards. In, uh, in college football, you need the star quarterback to step up. At some point in the playoffs, you need a talisman to step forward. You yeah. can't always rely on the committee approach. And so I'm interested to see whether Stan Kroenke will open the coffers, bring anybody else in. I, I kind of doubt it. They're going to have to develop that from within, uh, and we'll see if they are built to get uh, – to get I mean, playoffs are a crapshoot. We know that. But it helps to have stars, and uh, they haven't. So yeah. we'll see where that takes them. In a lot of ways, they're they're kind of a better version of RSL from last mm -hmm. year as well, but without the match winners that RSL had, just a RSL was a worse team. Except they had a couple of match winners. If you yeah. traded Rusnak or or Krylock to Colorado Rapids, they could have probably been like an MLS Cup contending sort of team. It's kind of a funny little, uh, you know, better team, but but worse built for the playoffs, perhaps. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, who we have next. It is another groan-worthy pun out of yours truly. Oh, boy. It's the Portland Timbers, and the movie title is Chara It's of Fire. Like you had to. Of fire, but, the, but Jimmy and Diego Chara. You had to. Um, you had to do that. Yeah, well yeah. I could. I, I Timbers, I sat here and stared at our rundown. and was like, <laughs> let's come up with a good pun. I was like, you know what? We're just doing low-hanging fruit here. <laughs> but, yeah. So anyway, as it, as it comes to the Chara brothers, neither of them is, is young, per se. Diego is 35 and Jimmy is 30. But they are the elder statesmen in a group that emphasizes the defensive solidity, including from more advanced positions where Jimmy plays as a winger. And that's going to be all the more important this year. With Diego Valeri out the door, he's taking a victory lap with his boyhood club, Linus, who is going to do a tour 
Um, that includes a stop in Portland for a testimonial match by all accounts, it sounds like. And with Sebastian Blanco turning 34 this year, those are those are two guys who have been so important to the Timbers basically since they've been in the MLS. And, and one of them is completely gone and one of them is is getting up there in age and, and doesn't have um, Diego Chara's uh, dedication to incredible fitness. Um, simply put, a team that's generally been defend well and let the maestros make magic. We've talked about a couple of those teams already has less wizardry to go around this year. So they're going to have to be especially strong at the back and maybe defending higher up the pitch with a guy like Jimmy Chara to create scoring opportunities from a press. So the X factor is going to be a potential kind of addition to that magician, uh, that magic shop, I guess you could say. As U22 winger Santiago Moreno, he had a rough start to his MLS career last year. He was a midsummer signing, but we've already talked about it from Nashville. We talked about it for a couple teams. We can't assume a second-year leap for a guy like Ake Loba if we aren't kind of conceding the fact that other teams can have their guys come in midsummer and, and play poorly and then suddenly take that leap when they've had an off season to get used to their teammates, to get used to playing in the United States. Um, you know, all these things that we saw from Hani Mukhtar, even going from year one to year two, that are, we're kind of hoping to project onto Akilo, but that we were hoping to project onto Jean Ricardis. If Moreno can do that, that's, that's just a piece that's going to make a complete difference for the Timbers. Moving on to LAFC, as we have three previews left, movie titles. I'm going mostly with actual titles of things, and Tim's doing the better route, which is to make his own with great puns. Uh, my movie title will be La La Land, because again, similar to the concept of Galaxy, that often describes where their defense found itself uh, <laughs> last year. Um, they went from the cusp of Club World Cup to residing below the playoff line in less than 12 months, and the, the culprit was just woeful XG underperformance. This was a team kind of like New York City FC on the other side that we said, eventually they're going to figure it out and they're going to play up to their metrics. Well, NYCFC clearly did. They won MLS Cup. Uh, LAFC didn't get to the playoffs. Uh, they underperformed by seven goals in the attack and 12 goals in defense. Just just dramatic underperformance there. So maybe things weren't quite as bad as the results indicated, or after 34 matches, maybe you are what your record says yeah. you are. And I think we would agree that, that the eye test said this defense was just not organized enough. Uh, the stars were not healthy enough. Carlos Vela had some other, some more injury issues, and, and they just weren't consistent enough on either side of the pitch. Bob Bradley out the door as a result. He left. He's now in Toronto building something there. And so the X factor is about the new guy coming in. Is Steve Sherundolo ready for such a high visibility role? I'm not going to sit here and pick apart his results at his previous job at Las Vegas because that, as you guys remember if you followed USL, it's a, it was a reserve team. They served the goal of developing, and then if you happen to get some points – Along the way, I think Great. they were literally having guys drive from LAFC training the morning of lights games to yep. go play for the Las Vegas lights. That's not that he was not set up to succeed. There. <laughs> he was not. And he didn't, um, at yeah. least in terms of the traditional metrics. He uh, they, they were close to, if not in last place. Um, and, and regardless of what you say about the legitimacy of those results, and we'll both agree. Don't pay too much attention to the points tally there. There are question marks about whether whether he is prepared for such a high visibility role. It's, it's a big jump up uh, for him. He's spent a lot of time in his career in Germany. He's obviously had the eyes of U.S. men's national team fans on him. Long stint uh, for uh, for the USMNT. But this is the biggest job he's taken, and mm -hmm. he's stepping in to the shoes of his former national team coach and Bob Bradley, who obviously is uh, one of the you know, maybe the most respected soccer coach in the U.S., not named Bruce Arena. And... The pressure's on. It's going to be a challenge for him in a high-visibility role with very high expectations. Uh, I, maybe he is. Maybe he's a tactical genius. Um, we'll see. I certainly believe he's talented and uh, he has the trust of a great organization, but uh, that's that's the biggest question mark to me. If, if the talent 
plays up to its potential, this is a group that's not going to find itself below the playoff line again this year. Vancouver Whitecaps. My movie title is Gold Rush because I just could mm-hmm. not do enough puns. Or, or you could have gone White Lightning for Brian White. Yeah, I, th- I actually started off with with Brian White puns, and I was like, you know what? We got to get Ryan Galden here because the midseason signing played less than half of available minutes, was but was fourth on the team and expected goals plus expected assists. It's a World Cup year. He's hoping to make the Scottish team. He's hoping to bring Scotland to the World Cup. They're still involved in UEFA mm-hmm. qualifying. If he can perform at a level that um, kind of justifies potentially getting to a World Cup, that's a, a game changer for this team. Obviously, we just mentioned Brian White. Good finisher, a fringe, maybe maybe deep fringe USMNT guy, but a guy who is a very good, you know, complementary piece to a guy like White. The issue for me is, is trading Maxime Crapo. They need Thomas Hassall, the, the new keeper, the guy who kind of had a, a notable moment at the MLS's <laughs> back tournament and has not performed particularly well in the time since, to be honest. They really need him to level up, but he's a young guy, an academy guy who can potentially make that. The X factor for me is is can their us against the world mentality from last year's long stretch on the road, plus a midseason coaching change, can that st- can that carry them through another year, or do they even need that sort of you know kind of forced that kind of forced us against the world mentality to achieve similar levels of success? Maybe they do. We've seen Alabama football say, "Oh yeah, nobody believed in us," which uh, yes, clearly nobody believed in you, Alabama. People <laughs> use that for motivation, regardless of whether or not it's true. That. So we'll see. We'll see if Vancouver even needs it, or if they, or if they can kind of muster some of that again. Yeah, I covered the uh, the dynasty that was the Alcoa Tornadoes high school football team in East Tennessee. They had not lost a game to a team in their division in like three seasons, and when they won state, the captain of the team said, "Nobody believed in us." Yeah, no, nobody didn't believe in you. We all knew you'd be here, but congratulations. Uh, Austin FC, the last team. They'll be the last Western Conference team Nashville plays this year. No movie title for them, Tim. Just a Lincoln commercial. All right. In honor of Chief Culture Officer. All right. right. Yes. (laughs) Matthew McConaughey. Uh, I thought about Dazed and Confused there, but I'd already used too many Confused. Oh, that's a pretty good one, actually. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but but like I'd already done La La Land, and I'd done Lost in Space and Criticized Defenses, so I decided to mix things up just a little bit. Um, After some early optimism last year, they went to Colorado and had a great day. Austin drove around the block with no particular pace or purpose or place to go. And they looked like, honestly, like MLS expansion clubs are supposed to look in year one. I'm not going to levy much criticism their way. It's hard to succeed in year one. Nashville and a couple others have just proven that to be uh, not a universal case. Uh, They scored the fewest goals in the league. They conceded the most in the West. Uh, And you mentioned the departure of Maxi Arruti from Houston earlier. He's going to Austin. Big move inside the state of Texas, uh, but they're hoping for more also in Sebastian Driussi's first full season with the club, and that's the X factor. Where are the goals going to come from? I think this club is probably not going to all of a sudden shore up its defense and, and be Nashville SC level there. They're going to need to score some goals. Um, Driussi, small sample size, played half the season last year, scored five goals in that stretch. Um, he brings optimism. came in from Zenit uh, in St. Petersburg and, and brought a lot of hope Maybe he takes the Mukhtar jump in year two. They're going to need him to. Uh, Rudy, for all the, the acclaim, rightly, that he's gotten, his last double-digit scoring season came in 2017. So they need him to really turn on the light. Otherwise, you're looking at Danny Houston, You're looking at John Gallagher, guys who are good but probably better as complementary players. Um, their two U22 initiative forwards combined for 10 starts and just one goal. That's kind of what U22 is in a lot of ways. It's, it's potential overproduction, but they're going to need some production from those guys most likely this year. 
if they can find some scoring, they might have the central midfield. They might have the backbone to compete on the fringe of the playoff line in year two. Yeah, they were kind of a, a reverse LAFC in some ways, a team that that didn't look good, but kind of felt like there was something there that was just going to click. Mm-hmm. And, you know, LAFC did it because their advanced numbers were incredible. Austin did it despite their advanced numbers being awful. So I think if if they do find just that they might be one or two pieces away from at least being competent, and that would be a step forward from last year. That has been our Western Conference preview. Interested in your thoughts? Who do you think is going to surprise or disappoint in the West? Give us a shout on Twitter, and we'll give you a shout-out on the show next week. Let's move to the mailbag, though. Speaking of giving us a shout, a lot of questions this week. Payancito23, leading things off, asks the question everybody's asking, the question we referenced earlier on the show, what should we expect from Ake Loba this season, Tim? Yeah, I think when you look at kind of maybe numerical benchmarks, it's tough. But let's say he's the number three goal scorer on this team this year. Last year, that was Randall Layal. He scored eight. Um, if Loba can be that number three guy, or if the team takes a num- another step forward in attack and he's maybe number four or number five, I think that's an aiming point for him early in his career. I think, you know, you look at another guy who we thought was going to take a jump last year before Jean Dracadis is ill-fated international duty that kind of saw him, uh, like I mentioned before, kind of no longer be a major factor for Nashville SC. He could have easily matched that pace and going to the Venezuela national team was just a disaster for Jander last year. Yeah. It really did. It really did spoil everything for him. But I think Ake has every opportunity to at least live up to that and outperform it. And, and hopefully Ivory Coast does not need a guy to, to go contract a deadly virus uh, this summer. If he can be the number three guy, that's good. If he can be a top two scorer in this team, I think that's great. I think that's, massive especially because we expect this team especially maybe after those first few games to to get on the score sheet quite a bit i think to have the season nsc wants to have he needs to relieve the pressure from hani mukhtar and cj sapong and let the triumvirate up top go to work and i'm not including randall leal include him foreman i think we could see nashville in some more attacking sets especially at home uh this year I don't think it's unreasonable to hope for 10-plus goals, for a double-digit goal season from Ake Loba this year. Um, that's not me building off of 45 good minutes and two assists and a promising showing. That's, I think, the expectation you have for a DP coming into the $7 million level. Um, but his assist number, Tim, may be just as valuable because of the combination play he's going to have with Mukhtar and with Sapong. I think if you get double digits in either goals or assists from Loba, as long as the other number isn't like two or three, then you can consider his his first full season of Major League Soccer to be a success. Uh, Sarah Doxical and uh, Finn Breland, both with comparable questions, so we'll loop them together. Sarah Doxical says, who's going to surprise us this year, A, on the NSC roster, and B, as an MLS team? And Finn asks, what relatively unknown name on the roster becomes a mainstay this season? I think there's a real shot that Ahmed Longmire starts the year on a USL loan, but kind of takes that Jack Mayer or Alistair Johnston with the uh, Las Vegas Lights loan that never happened a couple of years ago. Kind of takes that path where he's back with the first team and contributing by the end of the year. Um, Mike Jacobs and Gary Smith are both really high on this kid, but it seems pretty clear that he's not quite ready for the MLS level. I think he can jump forward and, and make some uh, turn some heads and, and join this team and rejoin this team by the time the year's out. A lot of optimism around the club about Longmire's long-term potential for this team. I'll go with a guy we know a little bit better, at least on the pitch, and that's Luke Hawkinson. Uh, Walker Zimmerman, we played the clip earlier of him talking about uh, getting back into into action after national team play. But in that same press conference, he singled out Hawkinson for praise. 
Um, Hawkinson doesn't lack confidence <laughs> for a while there. His yellow cards per 90 were top on the team. He goes into into games hard and uh, and scores goals and and racks up fouls and it will be a goal a go to option on the wing or maybe at the 10 late in matches for this team. Uh, he could be a factor when Leal's out for international duty as well, depending on how things are looking for him and for others on the club. So I think Hawkinson has a potential to take that step forward if he gets the minutes to prove himself. And uh, as Nashville looks for a reliable option in minutes 75 or beyond or a rotational player who can come in and contribute, I think Hawkinson could wear that mantle for the boys in goal. As for a team, give me SKC. I think they have a solid enough foundation that they can overcome the lack of Polito and continue to succeed. I trust to some extent, at least, Peter Vermey's ability to scheme around the lack of their striker. They've had some notice he was going to be gone. And especially if they can bring in somebody beyond just a warm body. And Ole Kamara would certainly, Ola Kamara would certainly count as more than just a warm body. He was close to the golden boot, uh, stand, top, of the top of the golden boot standings last year. The foundation's just too good for this club to fall off the map. It could be a cop-out to say that SKC is going to be surprising. They're always expected to compete for a top-four spot. But given what they lost, I think they can pleasantly surprise some folks with how they perform in the absence of their star striker. And Norway's top bullfighter, Ole Kamara. Yeah, thanks for catching <laughs> that. That's, for me, the yeah. uh, the potential surprise team is, is FC Cincinnati. And that surprise is not finishing with their fourth straight wooden spoon because Charlotte FC saves them from that, <laughs> from that dishonor. <laughs> All right, let's skip a question and come back to Finn in a minute because he had a good second one. But let's go Let's go to Aaron, who asks that question. What's the worst season an MLS team has ever had? Asking for Charlotte. Um, and, you know, again, we're not judging just on a 3-1 loss to a good Nashville team. We're judging a little more at the manager saying in Spanish um, the equivalent of we're screwed at the end of a question about where the roster stands. He said, follow up with me once we're all, all the way built up. But as for now, we're screwed. So not a lot of optimism on the pitch in Charlotte. Uh, the worst team in MLS history will go by winning percentage and then by losses. Winning percentage, Tampa Bay Mutiny back in 2001. Four, 21, and two. Most losses, DC. This is before draws were allowed in Major League Soccer. They had uh, hockey-style shootouts at the end of matches to decide them, but DC was seven and 25. Tim, don't want to be too harsh on a new team here, but can Charlotte give either of these teams a run for their money? I think those records are going to be untouchable if, if Cincinnati didn't touch them in the past few years. And for that reason, I don't I don't think it'll be historically bad, except in the sense that, like Cincinnati, the, the overall product on the field is is more troubling than what the record actually says, which can still be troubling itself. Again, Cincinnati has proven that you can be bad in both ways and look worse than the record is nonetheless. The silver lining is that their ownership is willing to spend the money to make things better. Um, David Tepper is one of the wealthiest owners in this league. He's going to not want to have a poor product on the field. He's trying to fill his NFL stadium week after week. They're you know, touting their season ticket numbers. People are going to stop coming to games if they're terrible. He doesn't want that to happen. Still, but you know, I mentioned it earlier when it comes to FC Dallas, and we've seen FC Cincinnati do the same thing too, is spending money is not a guaranteed way to win. And so they have to be able to win smarter. Uh, in terms of how they navigate the transfer market. They so far appear to have done a terrible job at that. So we'll see if they can throw enough money at it that it overcomes their lack of managerial uh, knowledge, I guess we'll say. By the way, all three of FC Cincinnati's first three seasons of Major League Soccer ranked top 10 in worst MLS seasons in history by winning percentage. I know some of you guys were wondering if since he was going to get a reference there. Um, there you go. Uh, all right, back to Finn. He says, hearing about the healthy season ticket sales numbers is great. And by the way, the club noting that uh, more than 20,000 season tickets have been sold to date in the 30,000-person stadium. 
but Finn says, as a lurker who plans on attending three or four matches per season, do I have any reason for concern on single match prices uh, going way up? It's a fair question, I think, you know, when you look at the laws of economics and supply and demand. Um, however, I don't think you should be worried. I think the club has a strong interest in growing the game and positioning the stadium for success. And, and they're going to enthusiastically promote those single-game ticket sales and try to get people in the door. I'm speaking for myself here. I'm not speaking for the club. I represent the club on game days, but this is just my opinion. I think it's wise marketing to keep that pricing at whatever it was going to be. I don't think they're going to change ticket prices all of a sudden right before the season. They're going to keep it at what was a relatively low, uh, comparatively speaking, uh, mark uh, by MLS standards. They're going to try to get people in the door. And you know what? If they win MLS Cup or if they make a good run and, and, and this place, more importantly, perhaps from a marketing standpoint, becomes the place to be in Nashville, yeah, those prices are going to go up next year and moving forward. And, and we would probably tip our cap to that and say, that's good business as long as you do it within reason. But don't expect a late change, of course, here. Uh, I think they've always believed they'd get these kinds of season ticket sales figures, too. I don't think they're sitting there saying, oh, wow, we got 20K. Let's let's reevaluate. We may be surprised and impressed. Those are big numbers. I think the club planned for this, and I don't think we should be worried about, about season ticket or, or single-game ticket prices. One thing I will also note is if you are if you are dedicated enough a fan of the club to be listening to a podcast brought to you by two people who have been covering the club longer than anyone else in their respective disciplines, you probably know people who are season ticket holders and you will probably know when they can't go to a game. If you're just trying to get to three to four games a year, ask around. You'll be able to find some. John Mueller, uh, I love these marketing questions, by the way, because I, I, my day job, I work for a uh, marketing group. Uh, John Mueller says, should MLS reveal jerseys earlier than one week before the season starts? Yep. Uh, <laughs> all right. So why? Why, Tim? What's your opinion there? Uh, because they want to sell them uh, and that gives them more time <laughs> to sell them before they, you know, there's an excitement period where you can sell them just based on the release. And then once the season starts, yes, you're also selling them still because people are excited about the season. But mm-hmm. you're kind of kind of snowballing your excitement and you're kind of. Uh, building Lego blocks that get to higher levels of excitement and you can kind of ride a wave of, of various different uh, items that you want to, uh, I guess, uh, emphasize when you're trying to sell sell your jersey. Yeah, I mean, simple but true. And without other variables in play in terms of turning the kits around, you know, manufacturing them, all that stuff, I think, yeah, get them out before Christmas and, and feast on that merchandise revenue that you're going to get. Uh, but instead, kit reveals are used, as you mentioned, to drum up enthusiasm for the season and, and probably to give clubs more ammo for ticket sales there right right before the season starts. Uh, certainly believe that both could be done, uh, as, as you mentioned. The other variable I don't know is how long it takes to conceive and deliver those kits. Maybe it's just that the kit provider can't get those ready in time for Christmas. And uh, also, too, though, like a lot of MLS supporters, I mean, obviously, we're sports fans, too, right? And they may have their MLS club second, third, or fourth on their own personal list. You know, maybe their, their NFL team, they, they are going to spend a little more money on or NHL or whatever. So does it make sense then to not compete with every single Christmas gift out there related to sports and, and carve out your own merchandise season? Uh, maybe though you can even do that in January, right after Christmas and extend. <laughs> uh, I, I, to your point, John, I think we both agree. It would be, it would be great to get them out earlier. It would be a big push, but I also understand the marketing premise of, you know, getting people really excited to be really newsworthy because uh, unfortunately uh, one, one particular website operator might agree here. Often it's the, it's the kits and the gossip that get more hits and more attention sometimes than the tactics. Uh, maybe not on your site because you have an educated uh, reader base, but certainly a, a lot of places out there. Uh, John Mueller with a with a great uh, two-part question. The second part is, who would be your dream 
halftime show in the wake of the Super Bowl, of course, with a team wearing uh, a variation of gold, winning uh, the uh, Lombardi Trophy. What about what about it, Tim? All right, I'm going to maybe tell on myself. I know Nashville's Music City, so people have much more highbrow musical interests than I do. Have you heard of this When We Were Young Fest? Okay, so it's, it's this music yes. festival. To, okay. Yes, that's a prince who went. No, 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 it's, it's starting this year. Starting this I did year. not have some friends who went. They went to some okay, other nostalgia. Yeah. It's taking place in Vegas this place. October. Yep. It's basically the whole lineup could be classified as, as Tim Core. It's like all this like late 90s pop punk post hardcore stuff. I hate mm. talking about music. I just sound like such a dummy when I do it. But all these bands, it's, it's like, you know, 100 bands. All of them get to play at halftime. That is the halftime show. FIFA, one time rule. Halftime gets to be eight hours long. I get to just sit there and watch the show. <laughs> Unlimited substitutions, then, so you can fully rotate your your lineup and just let people go. Um, I think we don't we don't pay money to get an artist in here. I think we do backline idol. Look, we got all the talent and music we need in this town. I've heard you guys sing behind the the goal. We got some singers here in Nashville, and they're in the supporter section. I think you have a, a contest. Each supporters group nominates one singer. And we have a sing-off at halftime. Chris Jones, are you listening? Okay, I hope you're listening. Um, it could be a really fun way to engage the fans and, and test the acoustics of this new stadium with the people who are going to be in it watching and let them sing as well. I, I think uh, Backline Idol, you heard it here first. Yeah. And for, for all of you, just be, just be blessed that we do not sing on our podcast. Uh, it would not go well if I were, if I were asked to do that. So. Somebody else from from the Nashville sphere can sing. Sure, uh, it's not going to be it's not going to be your friendly local podcasters. No, unless it you, won't. Unless you're willing, West. Unless you're willing. No, I'm, you you can speak for me all day on that one. That is fine. <laughs> I was I was a bass in uh, the Brentwood Academy Singers for my final two years of high school because no other guys auditioned, and uh, I got one solo, and it was in the the song "Celebrate Good Times." Come on, it was literally the words. It's a celebration. That was my solo. That's all they let me have. So, no. I just promised I wouldn't sing, but I almost <laughs> sung that part just now, just now to to give the the listeners exactly how problematic it would be if I tried to sing. It, yeah, we don't have to give that example. We I think they trust us. I think they trust us. All right, let's move outside in before we close out the show. Big news for a local Nashville soccer slash football name. Sarah Fuller, goalkeeper for the Vanderbilt Commodores, also the first woman to ever appear in an SEC football game, who kicked the extra point a couple times against my Tennessee Volunteers. Sarah Fuller, the first signing for Minnesota Aurora, new team in USLW League, the second division women's league that is starting. Um, excited for her, excited for Minnesota Aurora. Got a note from uh, the ownership group that that some big news is coming out that we related to Nashville. Was happy to see that that was it. Sarah uh, certainly admired for uh, being a trailblazer in football, but also a darn good soccer keeper who's going to be starting her professional career up in uh, in Minnesota. Great to hear. Really exciting, Tim. Yeah, obviously we followed her story. I think we we talked about it when she was playing football for Fandy, and we're always really excited. I know she's a she's a native Texan, but we'll, we'll still always claim her as our own. You know, that's the one sport in which, well, and maybe in baseball too, where Vanderbilt can claim this is our <laughs> state. Otherwise, as I'm wearing my orange today, sorry, buddy, all Tennessee, <laughs> go Vols. Um, all right, back to to Major League Soccer and to CONCACAF Champions League, which starts Tuesday night. Depending on when you're listening, matches might already have been played. There are two of them on Tuesday. NYCFC 
reigning MLS Cup champions. Visit Santos de Guapiles in Costa Rica at 7. Hope my Spanish was okay there. Montreal goes to Santos Laguna down in Mexico at 9 p.m. Thursday, Seattle Sounders take on Motagua in Honduras. And then Friday, again, rescheduled from Tuesday to Friday because this team's having major visa issues. Cavalli from Haiti hosts New England Revolution. If that match happens, it will happen on Friday. So a favorable draw for for New England. You have to like NYCFC because of their depth and their ability to not have to play a Mexican team. Uh, Seattle, you always kind of look at as a team set up to, to have early success here. Who, in your opinion, has the best shot of going the furthest in CCL? I'm not going to ask who's going to win CCL. It's never happened for an MLS club in the in the tournament's current format. But how far will that team go? Yeah, you you said it all right there, which is whoever takes the longest to play one of the Mexican powers. <laughs> uh, I personally would prefer not to play a team like Santos Laguna <laughs> in in doesn't bode too um, well Concacaf Championships League. And for and for that reason, it's it's going to be New York City FC. Um, you know, I think NYC makes it through to the semis before they have to play Club Leon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Club Leon is probably a team that is better than any team in Major League Soccer. The difference is, as we've discussed, you, know, you mentioned it even earlier in the podcast, this NYC team was was really good and, and maybe a little under-recognized. Maybe they're the team that can finally take down multiple Mexican teams on, on route to CONCACAF Champions League. But just for saying it, I've jinxed it. So you're yeah, welcome it's not happening now. All, you're welcome to all Red Bulls fans. <laughs> If uh, if NYCFC and Colorado both win their opening fixtures, then uh, the two-legged fixtures they will play in the quarterfinals. So yes, one of those teams would be guaranteed to uh, one of those one of those two teams would be guaranteed to make the semis. That's brilliant analysis. Uh, one MLS team would be guaranteed to make the semis if those two advance. Uh, final whistle. Content recommendations. Go to mlssoccer.com. Click the fantasy tab. And search for the 440 Sports Football League. You can also find my tweet from a few days ago. I'll send it out again before the season starts. Join our fantasy league. New name, same tepid level of competition, probably. Um, but hey, it's going to be fun. The real competition is is the best pun in your team name, I would Ooh. say. And so, was... so far, so far, we have a really good one. I don't remember who it was. I remember that it was a regular listener, so I feel very bad. But it was Hani, Hani, Hane. Like Tony, Tony, Tony from <laughs> nice. the yep. 80s, uh, 90s, maybe R&B group. Incredible job. I forget who it was. I'm very sorry that I forget who it was. It's one of our regular question askers, too, if I recall correctly. <laughs> well, I'm going to look it up as we're chatting here because I uh, we, we got to give love there. We have 14 yeah. teams already entered, by the way, just off that Thank one you, tweet just sent out. Pretty good. Uh, Brett McNew. Brett McNew. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Uh, John Cade with blue collars. I don't know if he's okay. leaking kit news there. Um not sure. I'm the Wedgwood Wanderers, by the way. I'm, the I'm, I'm, I'm Fisha Freiburg because I uh, like fish fry. So I don't know, man. Uh, my content recommendation <laughs> um, does not exist this week, but I do want to give instead a shout out <clears throat> Excuse me, to Robert Krauss, regular listener. Uh, my recent emergency appendectomy said that oh. listening to our podcast helped get him through uh, some of his recovery. So that, that rules. Thank you, Robert. And thank you for listening. Some would compare our podcast to having an appendectomy, so that's great <laughs> to hear. Robert, first and foremost, glad you're on the mend and, and feeling okay. And, you know, we're, we're not here just to talk soccer. We're here to build a sense of community. And uh, I know hopefully we all have our podcasts that we love. Hopefully we're one of those for some of you. Uh, I don't know why, uh, but but thank you anyway. <laughs> and uh, really, really appreciate it, Robert. Uh, best wishes for a, a healthy recovery. That sucks, but glad we were able to uh, to help you pass the time just a little bit. Uh, Tim, anything else before we close out today? 
That is it. I want to I want to steal the spotlight and say rate, review, subscribe. Ser- very seriously, put you can give a star ranking, but also put a little message in that in that uh, the podcast app of your choosing, and and let us know what you like about the pod. What you even if you want us to change something, let us know what you want us to change. We're looking for feedback. We're looking for those reviews. Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for those of you who've done that. Um, listening is is certainly enough. But it's even better to go that next step because we want more people to listen, especially as, as enthusiasm builds. We had a huge, huge reception to last week's episode, and I want to keep that momentum going so we can continue to build that community that we referenced just a minute ago. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. Thanks to the 440 Sports Network for the platform. We're going to talk to you guys next week, at which point there will be less than a week away from kickoff in 2022. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.